Today's guest is Malcolm Nair. Malcolm is the founder of Guided Intelligence. He had a near-death experience due to a car accident back in 2010, and today we're going to learn about what happened. Malcolm, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much, Jeffrey. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. All right. So let's jump right into it. What happened in your near-death experience? It's uh, a long story. Um, So what happened in my my near-death experience was it was a car accident. Um, I was leading a ungrateful life. Let's start there. Um, I was unconscious nearly my entire life, living a mindless life, you know, not focusing on the consequences and the repercussions of uh, my failures, my mistakes. I was just, you know, uh, drinking, hanging out with friends, partying, you know, thinking these friends had my back. So one night I was uh, out partying. I manifested a night out. So I was laying on my bed one night and uh, I was like, what am I going to do today? Where, where am I going to go? Who am I going to hang out with? What, what girls am I going to hang out with today? And how much am I going to drink today? And um, I put out an intention uh, I said, okay, today I'm going to probably hang out with like four or five girls. I'm probably going to drink my butt off and hang out with my guy friends. And we're going to have like a house party or something. And I texted a few of my friends that were girls and a few of them got back to me and said, yeah, sure. Done. Come over to my house. That's exactly what we're going to do. And I said, oh, great. I just manifested that. Um <clears throat> baloney <laughs> i go over there and uh, we're we're drinking and we're hanging out and i'm wasting my life obviously um and you know waiting for girls to show up and stuff and just like i said living an ungrateful life um and sure enough no girl shows up for me and i'm down 15 beers later, a few lines of cocaine later, uh, a couple grams of mushrooms later. Um, And I say, hey, I'm going to go and text another girl and drive over to her house. And uh, a few of the friends over there said, no, just hang out, stay, you know, here, I got you another line. And just hang out and party or don't drive. I don't think you should. And I'm like, no, no, I'm good. At this point, nothing kicked in, right? I'm like, I have a strong tolerance when it comes to substances, apparently. And I said, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to go. And I get in the car, start it. They said, are you sure? I said, yeah, I'm I'm fine right now. I'm good. I'm just going to go. I know where she lives. I get in the car, back up, start driving, couple blocks I start to realize what decision I made um I'm like okay I I could feel the drunkness now and then I could tune into the cocaine and then the mushroom kicks in and I'm like this is gonna be interesting 
um, <clears throat> I start uh, driving to. You can still see me there. My phone disconnected. Um, yeah, you're fine. I start driving to uh, this friend's house, and I could not remember where she lived and where I was going. So I just kept driving. And the more I kept driving, the more I forgot where she lived. And I just kept driving. And the more I kept driving, it just seemed like lights just kept flashing by me. And I was obviously tripping out. And I felt like... uh, I was going faster and faster, but I didn't feel I was going faster and faster. Just everything around me was just whizzing by like lights, all the residential areas, just lights going by. And, you know, um, it was like one, two in the morning and most people were sleeping, um, no cars on the road. So I had an opportunity to go that fast, but it was unintentional. It was just my foot heavy on the gas pedal. Next thing you know, I sideswiped two vehicles and banged my head and became unconscious for a little bit, woke back up, pushed down on the gas again, really hard, go up and I hit a house, uh, the corner of a brick house in an older area, residential area. And my body goes flying outside of my car. So I got ejected out of my vehicle right away, head first, uh, my entire body, uh, came out of the vehicle, my knee, <clears throat> my left, uh, my, my tibia here hit the uh, steering wheel, shattered. Um, but the funny thing is, my, my body was found on the passenger side of the vehicle. But at the time of the accident, I felt my body being drugged over, like I was shifted over. And at that point I was in between consciousness and I, I wasn't sure if uh, the owners of the house saw me. I don't know if they were ballsy enough to grab me and shift me over because they cared enough to do so. So the, it could have been that or the, for the longest time I thought it was angels, which it also could have been um, angels. And I'll get into my whole thing about that as well. But because my body was found on the right side of the vehicle, they had a hard case against me. Uh, they, they tried to investigate me, interrogate me. They, they weren't sure who was the driver because, um, I was diagnosed with short-term memory loss and brain damage. I had, uh, a lot of damage, tearage, nerve, Tearage, blood clots, uh, bleeding in my brain. Uh, my lung collapsed. Um, I had a brachial plexus injury. I was paralyzed on on the whole side of my, on the right side of my body. Uh, so my my right side of my tongue, my my head, my brain, like all of the right side was um, limp and paralyzed. I remember the ambulance coming and taking me onto the journey there and putting me into the 
the ambulance. And all I can remember is being able to immediately come in and out of consciousness. So I'd be able to be in my close to my body or in my body, but outside of my body <clears throat> and hovering kind of almost over my body, but 360 views. So I could see uh, <clears throat> them working on me, trying to revive me and saying, we're losing him. We're losing him. He's losing way too much blood. Um, you know, and they're just driving, trying to get to the hospital. And at the time that I got to the hospital, I was able to just detach from my body at will. And I remember being translucent, like uh, being able to just float. Uh, I was my whole body, but very uh, translucent, you know, and I was, it was like those movies, those shows we grew up watching, like uh, unsolved mysteries. You see those but uh, angels or your body coming out of your body. It was just like that. And it was like, reliving everything so i'm watching my body being um taken to surgery to surgery uh the doctors checking on me all the family and friends uh watching me talking to me whispering to me praying for me praying to me and that's when i i realized i'm like am I squinting and I could see all of this or am I able to actually move around and leave my body and go further distances? And when I started to do that, I was able to travel to people who were driving to come and see me to the hospital. So I remember one of my uncles had to come from BC. He was driving to California and he got a phone call from my mom and he was like, what? Okay. we got to turn around. He's told the family in the car at that point, I'm like, okay, I can listen into conversations. And I, 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 I'll get to where I, I told everybody after my uh, life support, I, I woke up from life support, I told everybody um, what they talked about and what they told me. But so I came back to the hospital immediately and I'm, I'm floating around and I'm in and out of different rooms and just kind of observing everything and my specialist had to tell my mom look we i don't know what his chances are to survive this is uh you know like uh an accident we've never seen before uh he'll be lucky if he lives but you know right now he's on life support we don't know how long. We don't know if he's going to be a vegetable. We don't know what's going to happen. You know, he he's lost over 50% of his blood. He's has brain damage for sure. We don't know if he could talk or walk at this point. Um, my knee was swollen like this. My, my lung was collapsed. I had the neck brace on and I do remember my mom and everybody crying coming in and out my sisters and uh there was a point in time when i got really thirsty 
And I realized that my body was thirsty and dehydrated. And I don't know how or why I did this, but I, I decided to go into my body. It was calling me. And I went like this. And my mom right away said, he's thirsty. Uh, he needs water. Can anybody get me water? And I remember I told her the whole conversation. She's like, yeah, that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what I said. All my cousins, anybody who came, I'm like, you said this to me. You whispered this. I remember. And they're like, everyone was like stone cold when I told them all the stories and stuff. But so my mom's giving me the water. And I was so grateful because I felt my, my spirit told me if I'm not getting water, I will die. My body will completely shut down and I will die. Um, so I, I'm so glad she was giving me ice chips. But in between that time, I was able to leave my body again. And at this point, I didn't leave anywhere yet. I was still in our physical realm. I was still in on planet Earth. And I, I, tell, I tell you, so another instance happened after my, all my surgeries and stuff coming back and forth. Um, I needed to move my neck or something had to happen with my neck um, in order for me not to die again. but I was already dead. Like I was on life support. And what happened was I go back into my body again. I'm on life support. I take off my neck brace. I take off my neck brace and my mom opens the curtains wondering what the heck. And I get out of my body again and she's crying and crying and crying. And I know this sounds too good to be true, but it is true. Um, She calls the specialist and the nurses are like, oh, my God, he's uh, responding. She's like, what's happening? You know, what's going on? And my, my, my spirit needed that neck brace off because I couldn't breathe. I was suffocating. And the tube that they put in me, something was off. And I had all the breathing stuff in my lung, in my throat. I had all the tubes up my nose. I had drainage. I had so much going on. But um, if I didn't remove my neck brace, I would have probably died again, right? So my spirit knew. And then at that point, I stayed out of my body. And the specialist came in and said, okay, ma'am, he's responding. This is the time where you have to decide whether to unplug him or not. And when that happened, this is what happened. My body, my spirit started to realize that it was time to make a decision. And at that point, I started to hover further and further out. And it's like I had a connection to source to God, to source, to leave. And in that moment of time, she had a decision. I had a decision, something to do with a higher calling. I ended up leaving the hospital, above the hospital, watching the hospital, watching the sky. The hospital became further and further away. Like, you know, on Google Maps, you can start to see everything. And I started to go further and further away 
And I'm like, where am I going? What's going on? And I started to direct my body upwards. And I started to go towards a vortex. Well, it didn't go towards a vortex right away. I, it was like further and further and further away to the point I left Earth. And I can see Earth and then the sky and then the the space. And, and then I started to get sucked up a vortex, a white light. And... I'm like, this is cool, but this is weird. And I, I, I'm going and I'm on a journey. And it's like I'm traveling so fast once I enter this vortex that I can see the darkness behind me and the light. And everything's going just like that car accident. Like, like light years. I don't know how far in time and space I was traveling, but I was traveling for at least... 30 seconds to a minute, but it seemed like eternity. You know, it was like forever, but a split second at the same time. And I end up going so far and I enter complete bright white light. Um, Just brightness and holiness and just bright light. And I can see black behind me. I'm like, what happens if I turn around? But I knew... If I turn around, if I mess this up, I'm done for. So I just trusted in the journey and I just kept going forward. And I slow down and I stop in front of just white and I'm like, okay. And I started to contemplate a decision. I'm like, okay, what do I decide to do? Um, And I hear this deep, harmonious, heavy gentle, loving, serene, divine voice. And I look in front of me and I see these angelic beings, these angels, um, like a half circle, like they're like dozens. They were about 12 to 15 feet tall. They were either probably bigger than that. I, I'm just judging based on my perception, but the the being the one being the main source was massive almost like zeus like you know when you see zeus with the beard and a big like you know you can compare to those ancient the the main indian god or the main zeus or that that that's what it was and i felt this immediate um gentle welcoming like unconditional love um compassion respect and honor and and just this welcoming where i felt there was no need to justify there was no need to worry no need of fear or doubt or justification or to anything and i was just asked are you ready It was almost like, are you ready, my son? Or are you ready? You know, it's it's hard to explain. Um, The love I had and the welcoming I had, I was just among myself, like among uh, in the right place. It's beautiful. I haven't talked about this in a long time, but um, so... 
in my mind, I didn't have to, it was telepathic. Everything was telepathic. Um, and right away, it was like it, an eternity, like the, my whole life, my whole realization entered my mindset in that moment of, of him. It was a male figure asking me, are you ready? <clears throat> and I didn't hesitate, but to feel I was ready to decide to make a choice. But I said, uh, you know, in my mind, ready for what? But then he asked me again, are you, are you ready? And again, life before my eyes, all the mistakes, all the girls, all the sex, all the drinking, all the fighting, all the hitting, all the bullying, all the disrespect, all the lack of, all the need, all the attachments, all of that just flashed before my eyes in an instant. Um, all the chasing, all the, the bondages in life that you think it is a bond, that you think it's an attachment, is not an attachment. It's nothing. It's nothing. It's meaningless. Um, and I said, yes, I'm ready. And I decided. Right there, just everything before my eyes, I just decided I'm going to change. I, and right when that happened, um, I could have decided to be home, like welcome there. It was amazing, beautiful, like, oh, the feeling to just be free. But I thought right away, what about my family? What about my kids? You know, what my kid at the time, I didn't even have my kids. I had my older son. Um, you know, I have to sh show for something, you know, I have to make it right. You know, I can't just leave a burden behind, you know, my body, my depleted vegetable behind. I had to own up to my, my onus. And I got uh, a, a nod of gratitude agreeing and I was sent back or welcomed back. I was welcomed to go back willingly, lovingly. And, uh, there, they surrendered me and I was able to head back the way I left. And then I just go back. I, I didn't get to give anyone a hug or, you know, but it would have been nice, you know, but I go back and I start going back down that vortex, that funnel or tunnel, whatever you want to call it. And uh, sorry, I'm just feeling that feeling again. And then I, I just go back. I start to see space again. I start to see the earth again. And I start to see, you know, when you're, you're flying on a plane and then you come in and you, you leave, the clouds and then you can see space and then, then you see the city and all that. Like that's exactly what it was like. And I come back down to the hospital bed. I mean the hospital and then into the hospital and I float on top of my body and my mom unplugged me and I woke up and uh, 
they said, just give him a few minutes. Let's see what happens, you know. And they go sit down. About five to ten minutes goes by. I'm breathing. Everything's good. They're regulating me and all that. And then they open the curtain. And I'm in my body. And I go upright. And I look at my leg. I'm like ungrateful again because I'm back in this physical realm, back in this this reptilian brain and connected to this. It's almost like, you know, it happens in spurts. You you forget you be, and then you become mindful and then you you got to keep changing yourself. So it's been a testament since 2010 to now to constantly be changing. So that's been my life journey. And I was very ungrateful. I said, my leg, what the heck? Like, oh my! And my mom's like, you just woke up off life support. And the first thing you do is point at your leg. You know, not, not like, hey, hi, I love you. Like, you know, and I was just negative. I was very negative, very sour. And I was like rude again. And it was a test. And I'm like reflecting, but it's not hitting me yet. It took some time. Anyways, I was toxic again. I was negative again. But I had this, this bang in the head, this realization. And I was very in tune with some stuff. This psyche, some, some psychic abilities that I had before. But now it was like a matter of fact. Like, I got to speak up now. Like, the doctor's saying you're never going to walk again. You're never going to talk the same again. You got to be on these pharmaceuticals that kept dosing me up. When you think there's never enough to give somebody from like narcotics or like uh, morphine or oxycodone and Percocets, trust me, they can just keep that stuff up. And I kept shaking my head. I'm like, look, like I don't want, I, I can go on longer, but I'm, I'm shortening it up a little bit talking about how they put me into rehab. Right. So so basically, they wanted me to rehab right away. Um, they wanted me to uh, recover so they can discharge me when they see you recovering. They noticed I'm recovering. Uh, you know, I went against the grain. They said, don't walk. I would walk. They said, you know, don't, don't breathe too hard. I tried to breathe hard. And I started to tell myself, I'm healing. And I, right when I decided and I said, no, my, my lungs are going to inflate. They're going to heal. Um, in a day, my lung healed. Um, when I said, no, um, my bones are going to fuse together. They're going to heal. Um, they did fuse together. And I felt my bones fusing together. And they did heal. And when, when I kept doing that, I started to quantum leap. And this is all in my program. I teach all this to my clients and stuff. But I started to make things happen faster than anyone has ever seen before in the hospital. Um, than the stories they've seen. They've seen people recover from life support. I've seen stories. I've watched your podcast and stuff. But this was a little bit different, but not different. It was like everyone's story is the same, but slightly different. I just felt that I needed to do it faster and I needed to prove it. 
and show it. And and when it started happening, they they discharged me to another facility called Care West Rehabilitation Center, and um, they saw me walk out of there like I was a ghost. And you know, yes, I was in crutches. Yes, I was in a wheelchair a little bit at a, at a time, but I progressed fast. So within six days, I was in Care West Rehab Center. And then from there, I'm doing physiotherapy and stretching and range of motion, and stuff like that. And meanwhile, they're dosing me on pharmaceuticals saying, I think you're going to be on these blood thinners, you know, now for I don't know how long, maybe your whole life because you got these blood clots. They go to your lung, that's it. And they say, you're going to be on this, uh, this med- medication, it's uh, emitriptyline. And I said, what is this? They said, well, it's for people in the psych ward. Uh, you know, we give this to them a lot because PTSD and stress and, uh, you know, they want to commit suicide. It just regulates your nerve system, your nervous system. And I said, okay. So they had me on that. They had me on all the painkillers that you can name. Uh, I was on both. Well, eight different things and you multiply that by four to six times each each thing right and i was about 23 at the time and i was like what's going on and i started to have this realization like this is not my life like what's going on so i'm gonna be on all of this like over 36 pills a day um and i had these headaches these migraines and I said, okay, what's this now? And I started to be in tune again. And some source told me, it came to me, like, tell your doctor. And I said, okay, I will. So I, and at this point, I'm, I'm like really in tune with God, like source, uh, or my, my higher consciousness or my faculties, whatever people want to call it. But I, I call my doctor in and he's like, oh, you know, how does it feel? I said, well, it's bad. It's a bad headache. It, you know, he's like, oh, let's monitor it. We'll track it for the next couple of days here. Take more of this, more of that here. I said, that's not enough. He would call another doctor. They would inject me, put it into my, give me so much more. I'm like, the next day comes and I'm like, what are these guys doing? Right? What's up? Meanwhile, I'm I'm just going into the sunroom and stuff, and I I, I see this uh, guy, and he's so blissful and harmonious and humble, and it reminded me of where I left to 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 out of my body, and I looked at him. I said, "He's embodying compassion and love. What's wrong with me?" And I'm I'm observing him, and he's happy, go lucky, and I'm like, son, what the heck? This guy is awesome. Uh, and I'm I'm look I'm I'm starting to look at things with joy, and I'm like, why am I such a pain in the ass, right? To myself, why am I being this way to the people around me? Look at that guy. He's on a wheelchair. He has no arm and no leg. And I ask him, hey you know, how are you doing? And we're making our toast and jam and bread and our boiled egg and stuff like that. And um, 
he tells me his name and we're all sitting in the sunroom. There's like all the elderly and I'm making friends. I love people, right? So I'm always talking to the elderly and I'm, I have like all my friends, they're 60 and 70 years old and we're just chilling and hanging out and talking. And he joins and he's talking and I welcome him and he comes and he's talking to his, his crew there and we're all hanging out. And yeah, on the surface, I might've been low energy negative, but I ha- we all have something about us that, you know, is, is, is good. Right. So I had some good in me. Right. And he tells his story. He was on a motorcycle and he had to switch lanes on the highway. And when he switched lanes to go back into to the right lane there, a semi truck hit him and just ripped him apart. And he went flying underneath the semi truck. And when he survived, they had to amputate. Everything was just ripped off of him, right? And I said, but, but how come you're so happy? Like, how come he's like and he gave me this epiphany moment um you know that he's alive and you know we're given life you know that we're so blessed to have life and we should be so grateful for everything that we have and that made me connect again made me realize uh in spurts like wow okay you know that's so true now i come back to my headache and i say okay what's going on i go see the doctor again and you know everything finished there we go back to our rooms and then they come check up on you right so doctor checks up on me it's the, the next day and um, you know, how are you feeling? How's your headache? I said, it's still the same. I feel like some wishy-washy stuff, like it's gushy. He said, what do you mean? I said, when I shake my head, I can feel water. <laughs> He's like, well, okay. So he takes me into another room and he says, explain it for me. I said, well, you keep dosing me out first of all. So this is when I'm like right in his face. I'm like, you keep dosing me up first of all. You know, it's like you, you just want to, you don't want to take care of the problem, the core issue here. You just want to keep s- treating it like a surface thing. He's like, look, Malcolm, you know, it's like $10,000 a pop to run these scans. And so I'm like, I don't care. You know, he's like, we're trying to, to help it. I'm like, you got to send me in there. You know, you got you to gotta put me back into the hospital and get me in that scan. And I started to realize that in life, sometimes you got, if a closed, a closed mouth won't get fat, you, you gotta, you gotta tell doctors, lawyers, judges, governments, police officers. And I started to be that person in a better way to direct my life much better and clearly. And he's like, okay. They got me there in 30 minutes. They, they drove me over in the, in, in my own, uh, one of those van things. And sure enough, I come back, they say you have about 20, I think it was way more, he didn't want to scare me, but 20 cc's of blood. He says, what do you want to do? I said, what do you mean, what do I want to do? He's like, well, you got a choice. I said, what's my choice? He's like, you do the surgery, 
or you don't and you get the chances of your blood filling up with your brain filling up with blood and um you die i said and my choice is he's like i said what are the chances what he's like that's also 50 50 chance because you know it they consider brain surgery. They have to drill a hole into your skull. Uh, I got this line over here. It's not a fashion statement, but you have to drill a hole into your skull and they're going to clamp it open and they're going to drain out the blood or they're going to put a tube in you and you might have a tube out of you for, I don't know how long. And I said, nerves started to kick in. I'm like, I just got off of life support thinking I'm free, but now I have to make another near-death experience decision. And I was like, oh, gosh. And he's like, yeah, call your mom, do whatever you got to do, and, you know, let me know in the morning. He's a super nice guy, Dr. Norton, I remember. Thornton, Thornton. Super, super humble, nice guy, but he's just following protocol. He's a doctor. He's got to treat everybody nice and loving, but keep suppressing you. Right. I mean, that's all he could do. Right. Um, and I call my mom and she's like, okay, what do you decide? I said, well, what should I decide? She's like, do the surgery. I said, okay, well, she's like, just have faith, you know, just, just trust. And I said, what are you talking about? You don't talk like this. She's like, I just read the secret. I've been reading the secret. You know, <laughs> she's like, you know, you should read that book. I'm like, I'm here. How the heck am I going to read that book? Stop talking to me about some book. Like, you know, I got to make this decision. And um, I end up uh, telling him reluctantly, okay, I'll do the surgery. So I end up um, going in for surgery and I don't know if you have ever heard someone walk you through that type of surgery where you have to have a drill drilled in your head. You're awake the whole time. So I'm there. They cuff me, not cuff me, but with the belts and they strap me into the bed and, and they put, they, they shave it off, put that Brown cold stuff on your skin. And I said, okay, what's now you're going to give me some stuff here. Am I going to sleep? Am I like, I can still feel everything. He's like, yeah, you're supposed to. And I said, what? He said, yeah, we won't know if we hit a nerve ending. We need to know when we're dealing with the brain, we need to know and we need to watch you you, and observe you. And I said, but, you know, I was panicking. I'm like, but aren't you, you got to give me more. I can feel everything. I can feel what you're doing. Like I felt you doing all that. He's like, yeah, or do you feel this? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, okay. And he calls the lady and they give me more. And I'm, I'm grumpy, right? At the time, I'm super grumpy. And he's, they wait another five minutes or two minutes because it kicked in pretty fast through the thing. And they're like, uh, how's this? I'm like, okay, that's better. It's like a little numb. They put it through the, uh, the, your, your uh, saline package there. Um, and it's all, it's numb and I'm like, okay, but I can still feel that. Will it hurt? He's like, no, you should just feel tugging. And and he's like, you ready? I said, I said, what's that? And I look over to my left. 
He's like, it's a drill. How else are we supposed to get through your hat, your skull? I said, what is that though? It's like metal. He's like, yeah, that's the doc- the ones we use here at the hospital. And he's like, he's holding it and he turns it on and you could just hear it. <sighs> and I'm like, okay. And he puts it there and he's like, you ready? It's like, don't move. And he turns it on and that goes on for about three minutes. And I can feel the, you know, when they're, they're drilling your teeth and cleaning your teeth and you can feel all that stuff going everywhere in your mouth. That's what it feels like, but in your head and he's drilling that and I can feel it just wet because they have to put the water and stuff there too. And, and, uh, he stops it hits that the the uh, he had a band there to to tell him how deep he went and he stopped and he takes he removes it he's like okay and then he i'm like what are you gonna do now right at that point i'm in i'm in pain but i'm like aggressively i'm like what what are you gonna do now and he's and he does it and i'm just i had to surrender i couldn't stop it right peels the there's a film you know around your skull and he peels that off and all i feel is this rush of blood cold cool blood just gushing all over my head everywhere okay i think we're good and he he does his thing staples it up calls the ladies and he leaves i'm like aren't you gonna put the tube in there vacuum it out he's like no it came out he's like it all came out i think we're good I said, are you sure there's no cuts in there? Right? Like, um, so he leaves me and I said, you know, nurse, can I get some morphine? Right. I was like addicted at that point. I'm like, can I get some morphine, Percocets, Tylenol fours, something? She's like, sorry, we can't. Sorry, sorry. Like humbly. Sorry. I'm like, what do you mean? I just had surgery. I'm like, give me something, right? And I was really mad. I was really, I was in the psych ward. I was in the near neurological area in the hospital where everyone gets brain surgery. Um, so people get half of their brains missing. They get chunks out of their head and stuff. Some people are missing half of a head. And so I'm up there and I can hear everybody in, in agony or talking to themselves and I'm like, what's going on here? Okay. I'm like, what's this going to be like? Like some crazy trip, right? So I end up um, having all the pain just kick in all of a sudden. And I just didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know how to handle that type of pain. I can't describe to you the pain except for tell you, that if somebody were to drill through your head and, and drill through your skull, take it out and be like, ha ha, that's it. Deal with it. That's the kind of pain you have to suffer with for hours, for like but two to four hours until they, the doctor comes back, the specialist comes back and says, hey, stick out your tongue. Can you do this? Can you do that? Do this. Can you do this? You know, and I'm like, and so for about two to four hours, I'm shaking the bed, screaming, yelling to the point where I 
put myself unconscious after all that pain till the, the specialist comes and he does that and he says, okay, he's good. And they give me a T4, a tonal four. They didn't give me morphine. And um, I go, uh, they take me into my room and I'm next to this, this massive 250 or 300 pound man that just had half of his brain um, removed. And I was scared for my life because, you know, you don't know what some people can do, you know, when they're, you know, and I had to go through that. So I couldn't sleep. I was traumatized. I had anxiety and I had a lot of stuff going on with me because of my car accident and because of all the drugs and pharmaceuticals I was on. Um, I couldn't even have a sip of coffee without me getting paranoid and thinking uh, someone's going to, you know, something's going to happen. <clears throat> um, so long story short, that's basically what I go through to the point where I, I eventually, after a week, so I was in Care West uh, Rehab Center for about 20 some what days and they discharged me to go home they said you're good you know everything's good they monitored me and now i'm i'm, I'm free within 30 days I'm, I'm back home back to life back to uh, reality and you know these lessons that uh, life throws at us these whispers now let's get to the good stuff um we don't recognize, we don't, we're on, sometimes there's people, we're unable to listen to the whispers. They're so subtle and we don't listen to them or we don't ask questions. And it happens in, in big bangs, car accidents. It happens in, in you overdosing or drinking too much. So what happened was realizations or these awakenings started happening to me these enlightenment moments, I call it, started happening to me in, in, in sections in my life from 2010, where I would take a chance, take a risk to drink a beer or two because I was in college. I decided to go back to college. And so there was some good and some bad. So I ended up going back to college. That was good, right? I'm surviving off of uh, social insurance, not social insurance, but uh, my my car insurance paid me out uh, about $30,000 and I had to survive off of that for two to three years. And um, once they started noticing I'm going back to college and put myself in school, I'm being active and going to the gym and stuff, they um, discontinued paying me. And they said, if you're good to go be active, we don't need to be paying you. And I said, well, that's not fair. And I started telling them, you know, my reasons and how the government is and how uh, insurance companies ought to be. And when I started to speak my truth, they they understood, they respected that. And they called me to the office, they wrote me another $12,000 check. And I was like, okay, this is working. So I'm able to speak my truth and get some somewhere slowly. And I'm like, how else can this work? Okay, so I'm in college. I was a, a dropout. The highest form of education that I had uh, at the time was not even grade six. 
Uh, I remember getting up until grade six, but that's when my, I was living a victim life because of my childhood, you know, growing up and with my families, the discrepancies that was happening in my, that's a whole other podcast episode. But um, I, my education level was so low that I was like, what am I doing here? When I do the tests in college, they, they, they say, sorry, this is your results. You know, we got to put you back to grade six. And I end up um, starting off from grade six, but I started to be in tune with these, these messages. And I started to tell source or, or call into existence numbers and shapes and messages. And when I was, would be studying, I would, I would say, look, um, it's coming to me. You know, I, I'm going to get a hundred percent, you know, I, I remember. And I don't know why, cause nobody was teaching me, but I would just say it myself and, and I would sit in that patience and surrender and just trust in, in source. And sure enough, I finished the test, all the information, the numbers and the results came to me and I finished my test. And I'm like, Whoa, just a minute ago, I was worried looking at everybody else. Like they're doing so well. And I'm feeling like I'm in grade six again. But when I put in the trust into source, I surrendered and everything came to me. And all the numbers, all the fractions, all the equations, the decimals. And and they call me up and they say, uh, you know, here's your results. You know, hey, Malcolm, you got 100%. Everybody turns around, looks at me and said what the heck weren't you just asking me like you know for help and stuff and and things like that would happen but then also on the flip side I would go and hang out with some college friends and they would offer me a few drinks and I would leave the the house not a lot but just like say three or four maybe six tops and I was driving on the highway after a party one, one, one occasion and I black out on the highway and I black out on the highway on the intersection. And about 90 minutes later, I hear, I don't know, 90 minutes or 20, 30 minutes, people calling the cops, but cops banging on my door. They want me to unlock it. I unlock it. They say, get out, you know, get out of here. What are you doing sleeping here? Someone's told me 30 minutes. You've been here for 90 minutes. Um, you're lucky. I'm going to confiscate your car, but you can walk home because your keys were found on the passenger side. And I said, oh, that's a miracle. Whoa. Um, and I remembered source again and i said sorry you know thank you you know surrender again so when people start to put this pressure and blame we always i had to always constantly realize or go through these enlightenment moments um and that would happen but i realized okay i gotta change that okay so i'll change that then i'll change that and change i'm like okay and it started becoming heavier and more meaningful in my life. And I would not do the same thing again. So as time went by, 
I showed and proved to myself um, what I was capable of. You know, I was able to walk out of the hospital. I was able to go back to college and pass with 90s and 100s. I was able to change the direction of my life. I was able to manifest, you know, if we get into that, I don't know if you want to ask me questions on certain things and what I was capable of doing, but I proved that I was able to manifest positive where before my car accident, I was manifesting negative things. And, you know, I just started to harness this uh, power that we all have and, and starting to live my truth now, you know, just in a better way and, and continuously catch myself before things get worse. So that's basically um, me telling you that whole sector of my life you know, fast forward without uh, taking too, too much time. But, um, you know, I hope I was able to express it well enough. Well, I want to say thank you for sharing your life because you have an amazing story. I notice a pattern of surrendering in your life. And yeah. is that something that you can comment on that you think that's helped you? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for that, uh, compliment. Um, Surrendering is surrendering to your old self. And your old self could be a decision you just made a minute ago. You can decide to change your life in a moment. A decision is a decision. Um, it's if you end up on life support like I did, and you die with your, I could have, I should have, I would have, which happened to me that I didn't mention. But actually, I did mention my life reflected before my eyes and I realized what I could have done. I should have done, and I would have done and how I was dying with my music still inside. And surrendering is basically realizing that we have so much more potential. If we just let go of our ego and our pride the attachment we have and the idea that we have uh, around why we did something, that justification. Well, you know, I did it because, you know, I, I felt like drinking, so why can't I drink? And just surrendering is like not having a reason and just leaving that up to God and saying, I have nothing to do with this. I surrender. And I, I decide not to shifting your paradigms, you know, just completely sh me shifting my paradigms is my way of surrendering is if I'm, if I make a decision and I know I messed up, or if I know that um, it's, it's something passed down to me from my grandparents, my dad to, to me, um, I change it. I shift it right away. And by shifting it, I mean letting it go completely. Uh, so I, you must surrender. Surrender, it's, people could describe it in so many different ways. You could surrender to God and just, you know, you could surrender to yourself or, you know, but to me, it's surrendering is transformation, just changing the paradigms or your belief system around an idea or, 
you know, if you're fixated on something, if you think you have to protect your ego, change it. That surrender, change it. From this entire experience, if you could do this, what would you think is the most important thing or the most impactful thing that you've learned from this? That we have a purpose. Whether we have decisions to make differently in our relationships, whether we take a chance to try out a different role, something we're uncomfortable doing, but we, we, we be comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, I learned that if you don't make of your life what you can envision or imagine, it's going to die with you anyway, so you might as well give it a try. You know, you're going to, when we die, we don't get to take nothing with us. All the programs, everything we built, the podcast, the books, whatever we created here, nothing gets taken with us. We don't get to have that, you know, so we might as well um, live out all our true potentials, you know, while we're here, you know. That's what I got out of it. Just do what you think was never possible. For example, I published a children's self-help book. Uh, I did that? Really? Whoa. (laughs) Yes, I did that. I proved to myself it was possible. You know, I proved to myself I can create a, a program and I can serve mankind. I can teach people how to transform their lives in five to seven days. And I I do it time and time again with people from all around the world. And where before it was a paradigm, I was like, no, that's only for the rich and famous. That's only for the successful. That's only for the Bob Proctors and the Tony Robbins. And no, it's not true. Everybody has a story. Everybody can leave an impact in this world. And we all have an opportunity here. Every There's equality for everybody and there's an abundance for everybody. And if anybody says it's not so, well, look, I'm living proof of it. You mentioned that when you first came back and you were back in your body, you were negative. Maybe you were Mm -hmm. ungrateful. You were back to your old, I think you even put it, your toxic ways. Mm -hmm. What Was there one turning point where you finally dropped that behavior or changed? Or did it come after multiple turning points, which I think you called whispers? Yeah. You know, life is filled with tests, you know, that's a great question, you know, it's very important for us to always be mindful of consequences. It's always important for us to remember like, hey, take a step back and and think about what just happened you know so tests will always come our way you know um we're going to be faced with things all the time those are curveballs to see how how are you going to catch it how are you going to receive it you know um 
So I, there's no final uh, test. You know, even billionaires are faced with tests all the time. Uh, successful people. I believe success is not just in, you know, monetary gains or financial abundance. You, if you don't feel free without the money, you'll never be free with the money. Um, so that's our test. Our test is to know that we can feel free. We're, you know what I mean? Um, test will never stop. I'm sorry. I, I, there's no uh, dead end to that. There's, test will always come to us. Are you still in contact with Source? Great question. Um, yes, every day, every day, every minute of my life, I'm in contact with Source. Um, guided intelligence, in fact, was something that came to me from Source because I asked and I received and I said, you know, what am I meant to do? How may I serve? What's my purpose? You know, how can I leave this nine to five hustle, this rat race? You know, I'm, I'm putting my soul out here for people, door knocking, doing presentations in people's houses. You know, I'm, I'm making another millionaire millions every year and here i'm getting uh control on my money uh holds on my checks and you know here i'm selling a product to people don't even know me don't even know the product um and i i would talk to source and and have these conversations we gotta constantly be having conversations with something outside of ourselves which is source um but also it's within us so we, we got to realize that, that um, we are, um, this is going to be very controversial. Uh, maybe, actually, I don't want to even say that. No, we are one with source. We are, we are source energy. We are a piece of God, whatever you want to call it, energy, source, vibration, frequency. We are. We, once we realize that that's what we are, that's the key. That's what we are. We're going to go back as that. How do you think we can make that realization without having an NDE like you Exactly. Have? My freaking purpose. <laughs> um, you don't have to go through a near-death experience to realize this. That's my favorite question. That's my favorite question. It's... You know, some people in life, they don't have the guidance. They don't have the whispers. They don't have that, that, that they don't know how to raise their vibration. They don't know what visions are, what visualization is. I was there. I didn't, I didn't even have a vision. I didn't know what I wanted to do, what, how to accomplish one thing at a time. Um, you know, for people out there, I would say, Trust that you are possible. You are possible. Don't let your imagination be left in your dream. Let your imagination come out of your dream and make it a reality. You know, you can make yourself change. If you truly want to change, you can shift your personality. Like Dr. Joe Dispenza says, you know, like, your personal reality changes when you change the way you look at life. 
when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at would change. Like Dr. Uh, Wayne Dyer says, um, do more personal growth, research, find wisdom, find stories that relate with you. That's what I would say. Um, get things that resonate with you and who you are and what you are meant to do. Um, you know, that's my quick advice. Um, and if you can find somebody to mentor you and help you that is spiritually awakened, find that person. They'll guide you. Yeah. I don't know how recently you've been a changed person, but you're to me, you know, 180 degrees from what you used to be. So the person that you are now, for however long that has been, how has your friends and family responded to that? Um, I will tell you that I am disconnected from my friends and family. And I made that decision um, from being on life support. I Sometimes you have to detach. Um, and if that means leaving your family behind, so be it. Um, I don't want to say that in a harsh way. I have clients that teach how to maneuver within their family and how to still attract abundance within their toxic environment and stuff. So that's a whole different uh, topic. But I personally had to let go of the friends. The same people I was hanging out with and partying with didn't even come to my bedside in, in the hospital. Um, nobody paid me a visit, a phone call, you know, which is fine. I, I had to send love to to the universe. I had to send love to my enemies. I had to send forgiveness and let all of that go. But at the same time, it doesn't mean you have to be with anybody. Um, you know, forgiveness doesn't mean you have to have a connection. So I would love to say, you know, we, we get together, we have beautiful dinners and they love me so much, you know, and all that, you know, that, you know, that some people are so blessed to have. But for me, um, I came into this life cold and alone and I want to leave fulfilled and warm. And if I can't um, do that with my own family, I sure as hell will do it for the people on this earth that need to hear it, uh, that are missing that uh, shoulder to lean on, um, you know, like I have. So if I can be that person for them, um, I will show them how to do it. So, it's a different story for me. Everybody has a different story, but the ones who have seen it, yeah, they, they probably, I can, I can feel their vibration. I can feel the frequency, but um, I have a different type of family. So it's hard to speak on family. Everybody has a different perspective on family, right? Right. That's okay. Um, just curious. I'm running out of time. But before mm -hmm. I go, can you tell me what is guided intelligence? Sure. Guided intelligence is a knowing that we're all guided, guided intelligently. Basically, I got a whisper from universe basically saying guided intelligence. And I said, what's that? Um, I was unsure at the moment when it came to me. And I said, what? Come again? guided intelligence guided i said guided intelligence over the years it's become service to to people 
service to God, service to myself, whether it's collaborating, whether it's uh, helping somebody, whether it's coaching, mentoring, inspiring, motivational speaking, whether it's building companies outside of what I do, whether it's uh, teaching people how to do what I do or showing the world that uh, we should be united. We should be able to not feel like we're so attached to our own our own uh, gains and to spread the awareness and the, the, the wealth and grow together. You know, it's uh, raising global consciousness. There's so much to guided intelligence. Whatever you believe guided intelligence should be, that's what it should be. Um, and that's what it is. It's something bigger than me. It's something something bigger. It just came to me. It's just that's the message out there to the world. But what I personally do is I do group coaching, one-on-one coaching, and I help people uh, find their their purpose and their inner peace and to live in harmony and balance. That's That's how I serve. Okay. All right. Well, before we wrap it up here, do you have one last message that you can share with the audience? Yes, I would say I'm, I'm taking this from Dr. Wayne Dyer, but be open to everything, uh, but attached to nothing. Um, we don't have to feel like um, we have attachments. We don't have to feel like we have attachments. You can let it go and you can surrender it. And, and when you surrender it and let it go, the thing that you are chasing, the thing that you are wanting will in fact come wanting you and chasing you and coming right into your lap. Um, so all you got to do is surrender and let it go. I like that. Malcolm, thank you so much for being my guest. I really appreciate you. you and I wish you massive success in whatever you do. Thank you. Back at you, man. Thank you so much, Jeffrey. I appreciate you. Have a blessed day. Thank you. You too. Have a great evening. Yeah. Bye-bye. Ciao. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.